Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of Kramer Basketball, founder of the Coach's Edge. And on this episode, I have one of my basketball mentors on the show, Coach Dave Boyce of Perrysburg High School. I had the chance to be on his staff for two years. It was a fantastic experience. Coaches won 500 plus games over his career. Last year, he won the Paul Walker Award, one of the most distinguished awards in the state of Ohio, one of 1,600 coaches in the state. He was the one chosen for his contributions to the game of basketball in the state. You know, Coach Boyce, I've had the chance to be around a handful of really influential coaches over my playing and coaching career. I had the chance to play for Mark Gainforth and then also coach alongside Coach Gainforth at Unionville Seabling Area Schools. When I played overseas, I played for a handful of coaches. One of those coaches was a guy named Nenad Jasapovich. He was an all-national player for Croatia. He went on to coach. He coached Tony Kukoc, Dino Raja, a handful of the best players to ever come out of the country of Croatia. And as I continued this journey of, of training and teaching, Coach Boyce, was a coach that I met by accident. There was a player, uh, his, a point guard on his team, and I was contacted by his dad to help him with his shot, go and work out. And so I went and it was our first time meeting uh, this young, young point guard who went on to play college basketball. But as we were working with his shot, Coach Boyce just stayed kind of on the perimeter of the gym and he observed the, the workout. After the workout was over, he asked me, you know, a handful of questions about shooting, what I recommend uh, with this specific player. He asked me if I ever really thought about getting back into high school coaching. I said, you know, not really. I really enjoy what I'm doing from a training standpoint, running camps and clinics. And he's like, okay. And then the next day I get an email again saying, hey, you want to join the staff do you want to be a part of Perrysburg basketball and again I was like ah, I'm not really really sure I'm not something I really envisioned myself doing was coaching high school basketball at this point um, he said what well, you know why don't we we meet and we'll talk about it and uh, once I learned about his program and his vision for what he's trying to continue to build uh, year in and year out with Perrysburg I had to join join the staff, and it was uh, one of the better decisions that I made during my time living in Northwest Ohio, um, because Coach Boyce sees the game at a, a different level that I do. I see the game very much from a, a skill development standpoint of how players can make certain reads and decisions in live play. And then from the teaching standpoint of, okay, what are the skills that we need to work on to execute that? And Coach Boyce sees the game a little differently. And I think that's why we made a really good pair when we were in Perrysburg. But he sees the game broken down into really like chess pieces and moving those parts offensively and defensively, um, the spacing, the timing, the cutting, the plays that he calls out are always on point truly developed a system that has led to a lot of success for himself in his program. So um, I'll stop talking and we'll get to the episode, but a special thank you to Coach Boyce for taking the time to be on the show. And if you enjoy this episode, please 
share it out, subscribe, rate, review. That goes a really long way as we continue to build the Coach's Edge. And if you're curious about our website, coachesedge.coach, let me know, hit me up, contact at kramerbasketball.com. I'm happy to answer your questions. Let's get to the show. I'd like to give a warm welcome to Coach David Boyce of Perrysburg High School. Coach, thanks for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Steve. I'm excited. And, uh, you know, I got my, my Perrysburg gear on, got my one of my many Perrysburg shirts on, my notepad out, so I'm good to go. Uh, before we dive in, Coach, could you give a little bit of your background in coaching history? Sure. Um, I got a really early start. I was uh, head coach at 22. I'd been a freshman coach for two years before that. Um, so I was a head coach at a small school up in Northwest Ohio for three years, uh, a big time football, baseball school, rough place to, to get it going. I went down to Columbus after that for one year as a varsity assistant and then 14 years as a head coach. And then this is my 21st year as head coach at Perrysburg. Over all of those you know, decades now of being a coach for the most part, at the high school level and wherever you've gone, you've really emphasized building a system, a program so that you are good on a year to year basis. And that's one thing that I found since getting to know you years and years ago, um, helping out with the Perrysburg program was regardless of the talent level, Perrysburg is going to be capable and competitive every single year. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how you've gone about uh, building a system from, you know, your youth level all the way on up? Yeah, you know, we, um, when I came here 21 years ago, um, we sort of scrapped the youth program that had been in place, um, worked really hard with the district um, to put together a support system for the youth groups to be able to get in the gyms, to have time in the gyms. Um, I worked real hard with the organizers of that group. Um, some, some guys I basically handpicked. And that's grown now to the, where we have about 400 kids in our youth system from second grade through, uh, through sixth. We have a, a seventh and eighth grade program as well for those kids who get cut in the, on the junior high teams. Um, I meet with the travel coaches before the year starts. I give them some things I'd like to see in terms of offensively. I'd like to see, you know, every kid touching the ball. I don't want to plug any kid as a big man at, at the age of 12. And, um, and defensively, um, you know, we want to totally emphasize man-to-man -man, uh, at that level. And then our junior high coaches are, are involved in all of our staff meetings. Um, we do camp with them. Uh, we attend their games. And, um, and they, they run the very basics of our system. And then obviously at the high school level, all three teams are very integrated. Um, you know, I think our system is, is relatively simple, um, especially at the lower levels. Um, we're trying to do some basic fundamental basketball things. We incorporated a lot 
out into set plays. Um, but we also have motion concepts at each level. Um, but I think the big thing is that we're a year round program. We've got a very comprehensive um, spring program. I run an AAU program that most of our kids play in. We have some kids who are, who are better, um, who, who will go on to a bigger program. Um, we, we play about 30 games every summer. And then in the fall, we go four days a week. So, you know, I think one of the things you got to do is you got to make your program important. And I think you have to, to show the kids and the parents in the community that it is important and, and that it's something special to be a part of. And we talk a lot about at the very young ages, we talk about, you know, 100 to 120 kids in each class at that level. And in the end, only four of them are probably going to play on Friday night at 730. And that should be the aspiration of all of our kids. We work real hard on our older kids being mentors for the younger kids all the way down the line. You create a real family atmosphere in the sense that everyone is really building off of one another. The, the kids at the youth level aspire to be where the high school kids are. The high school kids are, in a sense, giving back. You're keeping that connection uh, from a player standpoint. And then there's not many high school coaches, varsity coaches that I know that are as active with the youth coaches, the travel coaches, and the junior high coaches as you are. But I think that's what it takes if you want to be a Perrysburg in Northwest Ohio who's consistently trying to be win league titles, fight for a district titles. Um, can you talk a little bit about the communication that you have with your seventh and eighth grade coaches before they head into the season? Well, I think the most important thing is that you make them part of the high school program. Um, you know, we we have them at our coaches' meetings. We, we meet socially with them. Um, we run our camp totally together with them. Um, the junior high principal and AD are people that I've developed a relationship with, and there's probably been five or six of them, but I, I try and develop that relationship every time a new principal AD comes in down there to get them to understand that, that that's my program, that I'm going to have input to any coaching selection. If I want to relieve someone of their duties, that's going to be my call. Um, and, and not in a, a threatening way, you know, it's something that, you know, once again, we, we, we got to build a relationship with the principal and the, and the athletic director down there in order for them to want to work with us. So, you know, my, my overall theory, I call it wide and deep. And, and the whole idea is that, you know, wide meaning that you have to develop relationships with not just your basketball program, but with the community, with the other sports, the teachers, the boosters, alumni, and then deep meaning within your program, you're going to go down to the lowest levels. And I think that stuff all comes together a lot of times. I think the community and the boosters and the other programs know that how our program works. And then that helps 
our junior high coaches and our junior high principal and AD to want to become part of that program. I love that wide, wide and deep and you did paint a perfect picture of what that looks like and, and what needs to be done or to be successful year in and year out. That's good stuff. Coach, as you, as you head into each season, are there questions that you consistently ask yourself? You know, I think we have a, a, a base system. Um, but I think the, the makeup of our offense and our defense every year is going to change based on the talent we have. You know, I think one of the things that we try and develop is what's going to be the identity of this team. The, the, the fundamentals of the program aren't going to change, but the identity of each team can based on our talent. But I think it goes back to, to the year round program. Um, not only do we have AAU in the spring, but we have um, three other open gyms a week and in, in workouts. And I guess really I should go back one step further because we, we really believe that next year starts with this year's end of the season evaluation. Uh, I sit down with each kid and I have a two page valuation and it's not just a bunch of check boxes. Um, I, I, I write it by hand and I sit down with them and, and you know, it, it, it's not a hour meeting. It's a 10, 15 minute meeting. A lot of what I say, a lot of those kids know already, but in the end, I give them two basic things. I give them what I think they really need to work on. And then I give them a range of possibilities where they could be next year. You know, you could be a, a, a varsity, one of the eight guys or nine guys in the rotation, or you could get cut. You could be on the varsity or you might be on JV. So I give everybody a range. You know, the really good players, I say, I think you got a chance to be an all-district player. Uh, or if you don't do all this stuff, you know, you're, you're just, you're going to be a decent league player. And then what I do throughout the spring with the open gyms and the AAU, because I'm at all the AAU practices, is, is I keep those things that I've told them to work on um, on my phone and I make sure I keep hitting on them and pounding on them and just, you know, little walk up to them before practice or while they're getting a drink and, and make a comment about a move they made or a, a, a play they made on defense that was something that we've talked about. And I said, you know, I'll say, hey, that, that, that's what we're looking for right there. And then when we move into the summer, uh, in Ohio at least, summer is more of a, a competition stage. So, um, we play 25 to 30 games. And what, what we believe that does is it allows our returning players to really help integrate the upcoming players into our system. So virtually every year, uh, you know, we return three to five guys in our rotation and we're going to be bringing three to five more guys in. So, they, the older guys will work on some fundamental things that we have to do in our system with the younger guys. If we go to a one-day shootout and there's four games, um, in between the games, they're talking to each other. So we're developing a lot of chemistry and team identity that way. And then in the fall, you know, we're just sort of refining things. And we've got spring athletes. We've got fall athletes. We, we don't have the whole team together ever. But... Um, but I, I think that's how we build it in the offseason to create this coming year's team. 
love that you mentioned, you know, next season ends or begins as soon as the current season finishes up. You have that player meeting and you're keeping that line of communication consistent throughout the course of the year from spring AAU practices on through the summer and into the fall. I think that's, that's great stuff. Is there, uh, over the decades that you've been coaching, how has the style of play changed most uh, for you and how have you been able to adapt to that? Well, I think, I mean, I was coaching before the three-point chat, so <laughs> I think the three-point chat has been the single biggest thing that's changed the game. And then it's really been an evolution in high school, it was 1987, 88, but it's really been an evolution of how people have used it. Um, you know, I, I think of, you know, there for a long time, you could basically defend three perimeter players and, and know the other two guys were going to be near the paint. I think the stretch four, you know, that maybe Pittsnago from West Virginia championed was one of the first that really changed the game. Now, all of a sudden, you know, now, now you're guarding four guys on the perimeter. So you've got to have a fourth defender who can go out and guard the perimeter. You know, and then we had the dribble drive motion, which, you know, basketball, you know, it had been a lot of picks and passes and, and double screens and staggers and all that. And the, the dribble drive all of a sudden just completely opened the court up. And now you had to be able to guard the, the drive and the dish and the one more. And now I think, you know, with, with Golden State, um, and, and I think it comes from Davidson a little bit, you know, now you're seeing a lot of the pick and pop and, and uh, you know, screen, rescreen, curl, pop. So I think the game has evolved quite a bit. And, and I think if you just listen to how I say that, how I've kept up as much as anything is I've tried to watch a lot of college and NBA because uh, it, it definitely is one of those things where the high schools copy what those guys are doing because we all go to clinics. Whoever is the hot guy, people are listening to. And those things, you know, just like it used to be Bobby Knight and Dean Smith, you know, those guys are going to be emulated. So we, we, we've tried to keep up with uh, defending those kind of actions and offensively, We've instituted them where it fits. Um, we're, a, we're a suburban school, two concentric circles out from Toledo, Ohio. And um, we don't get necessarily the fastest kids or the quickest kids. So we can't, we can't integrate all those things into our program because it just doesn't fit us. Um, you know, one of the reasons I came to Perrysburg was that when I was in Columbus, I thought we had some teams that should win some games that we didn't always win. And um, one of the teams I could never beat was Upper Arlington High School, the, the home of Jack Nicholas. And um, in, in Upper Arlington, I always felt had a bunch of kids who who really didn't care about moving on to play college basketball, um, or at least that 99% of them were realistic. The ones who, who could play knew it, and the ones who couldn't were very happy to play for championships at the high school level and have that be the experience 
that they relished. And in Perrysburg is a lot like that. And, you know, we've, we've really tried to, to pound that home to our kids that, you know, reality is that most of you guys, this is going to be your last couple of years of, of organized basketball and your statistics or your, um, you know, whether you score six or 10 points isn't what you're going to remember. You're going to remember being on a championship team. I think that's fantastic that you're having that type of conversation with, with those kids. And, um, you know, there's so many players that get fed different, you know, thoughts in their head, whether it's through social media or friends and, and so just be able to have that honest, open line of communication with those kids. So, you know, regardless of how good you are, there's still only a certain amount of slots open at the college level. And regardless of what level that is, those kids can play. Um, and being realistic about that, I think is, is fantastic. And that goes in line with making sure that you have a philosophy that fits your program. So how do you go about establishing a philosophy for your team or program in general? Well, I think, you know, you, you have some, some sayings or some theories that you pound home. And I think our basic one is winning with class. Um, we want to win. We want to win the right way. Um, you know, we want to treat the other team right. We want to treat our younger players in our system right. We want to respect other people's gyms. Uh, you know, we want to respect their coach and the referees. You know, I, we make a big deal at, at the beginning of every game of clapping for the referees when they're announced. Um, you know, and I think that's part of life. Um, Pete Carrill, the, the longtime coach at Princeton, had a great saying that we, we talk about a lot. And he, he said, the smart take from the strong. And you know, we, we really try and emphasize that we've got to be the smartest team on the court every night. Uh, we've got to be the team that, you know, doesn't make mental mistakes. We've got to be the team that understands time and score better than anybody else. Um, one, one of my big sayings is that, you know, are we plus six or minus six when we come out for warmups? Because I honestly believe every night one team is more ready to play than the other team. And getting out there and getting up six, up eight to begin the game is statistically something that if you can repeatedly do it, it's, it, it's a huge advantage for you. So we're, we're, we're always talking about a consistent approach on game night, a consistent uh, routine that, that we want to carry our guys into tip off that they're in the right frame of mind at all times. I think the other thing we, we really emphasize is role playing. Um, and in understanding that scoring is a role, but it's, it's no more important than maybe the role of the defender or maybe the, the best rebounder. And one of the things I've tried to do over and over is when I talk to the media, whether it's a newspaper or, or cable or a, or a talk show type things, I've tried to really give as much attention to our 
guys that some people would consider our lesser players, but I know there are better players. They're the, they're, they're the guys who make our team better. Um, you know, one of the things that I train, I, I always look at it that my top two or three players are probably going to determine what our ceiling is, how good we can be. And my job every year is more to coach four, five, six, and seven. I think those are the guys who make the difference. So if your top three players are great, maybe you got a chance to win 20, 22 games. You know, my job is to make four, five, six, and seven better so we can get to 22, 23 and not 18. Sometimes when your top three players are just average, you know, your ceiling might be 14 or 15 wins. But still, that's my job is to try and get us to 14 or 15 in that 10 or 11. I was always impressed when um, I got to know you and, and your program. The, the IQ, the smarts of the game go hand in hand with being well prepared. And I always thought you guys did a great job in your practices and in your preparation pregame so that when the ball was jumped up, the, the other team was not going to have an advantage in their preparation. Give your kids the best chance to succeed. And a big part of that preparation is understanding the roles. And you talked about under those roles a little bit, but the communication piece is one that I think a lot of coaches are curious about. How do you communicate the role to the player so that they embody that role for the best benefit of the group. I think it, it starts with evaluation at the end of the previous year. And in that evaluation, we, uh, we do give them that range of, of possibilities, but we have a team meeting before we have the individual evaluations. And in that team meeting, what I tell the guys is that you're going to get an individual evaluation and that ind individual meeting is for a single day in time, April 2nd or whatever it is. We start basketball next year on November 2nd. So that's seven months that that evaluation can be inaccurate, that your role could expand. But at the end of those seven months, when we get to those first couple of practices, we're gonna work on skills all year but to some degree at that point, I take over in determining whose role is what. And we, and we pound that throughout the year. And, we, and, and really, it's a lot in September and October and even the summer where we're developing those roles, where we're saying, hey, you know, this, this is where you can add value to the team. This is where you can make yourself a little bit more important in our success. Or conversely, if you eliminate these things, you've got a chance of playing more. And then as we actually get there, you know, now I'm starting to build the offense around what each individual guy can do. Um, and I think we've got enough in our tool bag that, you know, we, we can work with the kind of guys we have no matter what they are. And, um, we work real hard on timing and passing and angles um, and, and understanding that the passer is so vital to the guy who's about to score, putting the ball in the right place at the right time so the shooter can shoot it. 
you know, we work on a lot of those little things. And then defensively, you know, we work real hard on understanding the other team and understanding what they want to do. And, and I say a lot, you know, is that advantage them or advantage us? And, and we talk a lot about what shots are we willing to live with? What shots on their team are willing to live with? And if they make those shots and they make 30 of them, we'll shake their hand and, and go home. But if, if we have a game plan that we understand what we're willing to give up and what we are going to take away and we go out there and execute it, and then there's got to be some things that have to be consistent. We have to rebound. We have to have great transition defense and we can't put people on the foul line. We're going to be successful most of the time. Absolutely. And you really put emphasis on a lot of those seems like small, short individual conversations with players, reminding them about their role or what their role can look like heading into that next season. I'm curious, is that also a conversation that you have as a large group, you know, when the whole, when the whole team's together in June, when you're traveling and saying, okay, these two guys need to be taking more of our shots. These two need to be, get the majority of our rebounds. Do you have that conversation as well? Well, I, I try never to say some sort of a percentage of shots or something like that. I, you know, what I will emphasize is that when someone took the kind of shot we want, I'll really highlight that. That, that shot right there is a really good shot for us. Um, you know, that, that rebound in that situation, you know, that, that's a game winner. That, that, that kind of thing is going to put us over the top. And instead of a broader picture, we, we try and look at it that way. And, you know, conversely, the, the bad shots, um, I think you, you do those with a little bit more nonverbal means. It sometimes makes sure everybody sees it. You know, I, the, John Wooden always said, you know, the, the bench is the, most, the, the best motivator. And sometimes some guys got to go to the bench. And we, we had a situation literally just a couple nights ago where we've got a, a young man by the name of Cannon Klusmeyer who's, who's got a real high ceiling. Um, but he's he wasn't always that good. So he doesn't quite have the mentality yet um, of being good every night. And he was, he was not we, – we had – done a lot of preparation and drill work and we were getting into a scrimmage and he had a, a really awful first five minutes and I took him out and and right now with quarantine and all that we've only got 11 guys in practice but he was so he was the only guy out and I had him out for a while and um, my varsity assistant walked over and said hey are you going to put Klus back in and and Klus was standing right by me and I said, you know, I, I, I don't know if I want him in right now. And none of the other kids heard it. They were going up and down. I said, he's he's not doing near for us what I think he can do. And then he he looked at me. I'm like, you know, Klusher, I don't know what I'm going to get from you every time. When you're good, you're really good. But, you know, 
that's got to be every time. And he went out and dominated the rest of practice. And we won last night, 66 to 43, and he had 32 points. That's pretty awesome. The And so much of that goes into knowing the right button to push with individual players, right? Every player has a different personality. It, it might be that conversation. It might be something that needs to, Hey, come, come in the back after the game and let's have a, you know, a conversation with, with myself. It could be as simple as putting them on the bench for a few minutes and sending them back in. Um, how do you, how do you learn, learn that? Is it simply through experience of gaining a better understanding of how to communicate the right way with kids as each kid is so different from the next? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think for sure experience helps. Um, maturity as a coach helps. I mean, I'm a lot better at some of that stuff than I was, you know, 20 years ago. And then, you know, I, I'm probably getting to that point where I'm going the other way. You know, I'm getting a little older and, and I've, I've tried very hard to keep younger guys on our staff, such as yourself, who I knew the kids would relate to more. And sometimes I could say something to you and you could say it to the kid. And sometimes you just had a better way of saying it than I would, but we still got the message across. But I think, again, part of that is, and this is what some of the young guys sometimes don't want to hear. Part of that is just spending the time in the gym with the kids and learning the kids. You know, when we have open gym, uh, you know, I'm not talking to other people. I'm not sitting in a chair. I'm not in the coach's office. I'm literally watching every day, every play, and I'm learning our kids and trying to learn what makes them tick, trying to learn what motivates them. Um, I think, you know, the, the general trend is that it's harder and harder to call a kid out in front of people. That not too many kids are motivated by that anymore um, for whatever reason. So you have to get them alone. And yet for some guys, you can't get them alone and let anybody know you're getting them alone. You know, that, that's sort of the trick. Yeah. Too. Otherwise, you know, all of a sudden it's what did Coach Boyce want? You know, then, then they got to figure out some cover story. So I, there's a lot that goes to that, that, you know, once again, I'm not sure that you're always talking about the really good players. Sometimes the really good players don't need that. And probably the more of that that you have on any given team, it's too many moving parts sometimes. Um, you know, I think when you got five or six guys who are completely consistent and you know what you're going to get, and just in terms of effort and competitiveness and basic level of production, you're going to be a lot better than when you've got three or four guys who you're constantly, constantly trying to motivate and, and keep up and keep um, you know, having a, an attitude that's going to be productive. I, I've always made it a uh, consistent thing in our program that I'm not going to take you out for one mistake. Um, I want kids to know there's, 
some sort of routine. Like we, our, our subbing pattern is very consistent in almost every game. And once again, it goes to that, you know what you're going to get. The one thing that I will take a kid out for immediately is the same mistake we've been talking about. The same thing over and over. And they go out and do it in, and like he's saying, it is typically a selfish or stupid mistake. And I think you've got to take them out at that point. And at some point, their, their time has to be reduced. And hopefully you've got someone behind them that's not a huge drop. Yeah, and I think that from the outside looking in, sometimes as, as fans or even watching the game on TV, you see a player you see a player make a mistake. You see him make a turnover, and then the coach pulls him. And from the outside looking in, you're like, well, why did you, why did you pull him? They made they only made one mistake. And it's because you're not the coach. The coach has seen that same turnover 40 times that week during practice. They've seen that mistake the previous game. And so for them, it's not the one mistake. It's the 42nd mistake that week. And it's like, all right, we gave you that chance. We're going to pull you and then we'll put you back in later. But that one mistake wasn't one mistake. It was one of many that they've seen week in and week out at practice that they've been trying to, to coach out of their kid. And from the outside looking in, from the parents and the fans, they just see that one. And the coach never is just seeing that one mistake. That's right. And, uh, and then I think that's totally true. And then on the other hand, Sometimes you were already taking the kid out and he had maybe a nice three to five minute stint and you've got his replacement at the bench and then he makes a mistake. The buzzer goes off. He comes out and it looks like you're taking him out because of that one right. mistake, but in reality he was coming out anyway. So, yeah. yeah and, and I think, you know, I think when it comes to longevity and coaching, I think this is true in teaching as well. I think you've got to be able to shut down the impact that the second guessers have on you. Um, you know, I, I think especially today where it's so easy to sit in front of a keyboard and put out some nasty email to a coach or a teacher and make that person feel terrible about themselves or make them second guess what they're doing or make them question their whole value system. I, I think you really have to work with people to understand that you got to let that stuff go because you, you know, we, we did something one time I, I had a group of people and, and I said, two people in here, raise your hand who are really good friends. Two people raised their hand. And I said, now I want you to send her a text saying something really mean. And she did it. And the other person, you could tell they were offended. They were offended by what she said. And I said, I told her to do that. She doesn't even mean it. But, but it's so easy to make people feel bad. And I think from a longevity and coaching standpoint, that's what drives guys out of it a lot or, or girls out of it is that the, the complaints by parents or whoever just 
drive them crazy and and i just don't let it i don't let people second guessing get to me at all right i think that's i mean that's true a true sign of being mentally tough is being able to keep that outside noise on the outside but that brings me to the question of how do you help communicate that to your your players who i mean they're young teenagers and they're also get getting bombarded with all of this outside noise from family, friends, and the biggest one, social media. Yeah, and it's not easy. Um, and I think we the, the, the problem now is we don't know when they come to practice every day who all they're in communication with. I do think social media is the one that's just blown up the number of inputs the kids have. And the crazy thing is, you know, sometimes it comes from AAU because they're buddies with the team they're about to play. So you'll go into a game and a kid is overhyped up or psyched out because he's been talking to a friend of his who's on their team because they played AAU for the last two or three years together. And they go out there and they get two or three quick fouls so trying to anticipate those things um, is, is one of the, the toughest things right now. And, and I think all you can do is keep, keep trying to focus them on the game plan. Keep trying to focus them on plus six or minus six. Keep trying to focus them on doing little things right. And um, keep trying to keep that locker room a healthy atmosphere um you know one of the stats we talk about a lot is i think one of the killer stats are 0 for ones and 0 for twos where where guys come in they're they're playing relatively short minutes but in those short minutes you know they miss a three they miss two free throws they they miss a layup you know you come out of a game sometimes you lose a close game you can almost always count on a bunch of 0 for 1s and 0 for 2s across the board. So, you know, we we really talk about, you know, get into the game and get into the flow of the game before you try and get that first shot up just because you're in the game. How do you navigate high expectations, especially for a program like yours? I mean, 500 plus wins throughout your career people expect Perrysburg basketball to perform well. Um, they, the kids are expected to do that, the coaching staff. How do you go about navigating that each year? Well, I think one of the things we've tried to do is we've, we've tried to keep it focused on one game at a time. Um, I mean, I know there's a lot of sayings, um, you know, but – you know, we try and really focus on playing big games at the end of February. And I say that guys to, I say that to our guys a lot. Our, our goal is to play big games in February, but if we don't take care of this game, we're going to be playing in games in late February that don't matter. Nobody's the TV's not going to be there. You know, the, the, the newspaper writers aren't going to be there. They're going to be covering someone else because we didn't focus on this game first. That's probably the, the, 
the, the primary way we do it is we, we try and sell our kids that we're better than anyone else at taking care of what's got to be taken care of. We rarely lose to that team we shouldn't lose to. Um, we've won the league here 10 times, and a lot of those times it's been because the other team or two that we're in, in competition with lose a game or two along the way that they just had no right losing. And we try and convince our kids that that's one of the staples of our program is that we don't lose to people that we shouldn't lose to. Um, and then on the other hand, we try to talk about teams in the past and, and where they fit in that pantheon of teams. Um, we talk a lot about reunions. We say, you know, the, the, there's going to be around here in Northwest Ohio, at least Thanksgiving's the big time where all the college kids come back. And besides 2020, the pandemic year, there's three or four gathering spots. And we always talk about, you know, the successful groups, the groups that have achieved championships and, and great success. When they walk into that sports bar or whatever it is, they walk in with their, their chest out and their head held high. And they're the ones who want to be in the middle. And you can always tell the groups that weren't because they're the groups who find a small table in the back and don't want to talk to anybody. So, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, what are you going to be like in 15 years when you come back? Are you going to hold that chest out and can't wait to see people again? Um, you know, and then sometimes we talk about, um, you know, do you want to read the newspaper tomorrow morning? Do you want to see the highlights on TV tonight? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So which way is it going to be? You know, you, you got to be willing to leave it out there tonight because one way or the other, they're going to be talking about you. That's a great point. Um, you are not afraid to play high level teams. Now the NLL in general is probably a top 10 league in the state of Ohio itself, but you also are not afraid to play a tough non-conference. I remember one season with you, we, you know, one game, we went down, played some games in Columbus. So it was a team from all the way kind of on the other side of Cleveland that came out to Perrysburg and played. Um, when did that come about in your coaching career? You say, you know, we're going to, we're going to travel if we need to travel, but we want to play tough high level teams from all over. Yeah, I think that goes all the way back to Columbus when the, the team I took over down there hadn't had a winning season in 10 years. And, um, you know, one of the things I thought was that they lost a lot of games before the game even started. And just by thinking that they were inferior and the name itself on the other team's jersey was unbeatable. So I started taking that group all over the state primarily in the summer, but also with our AAU teams and trying to show them that, you know, just because you've heard about this team doesn't mean that they're any better than you are. And they got to go out and prove it. And, you know, if, if we do things right, they're going to hear about us. 
and they're going to see our school's name and say, oh, those guys are really good. So I think you got to go out and show your kids that they're as good as anybody else. And then I think in, in the season, it just is a great preparation for the tournament to play teams um, from all over the state, from, you know, I think you want to play different kinds of teams too. I think you want to play some, some city teams, some suburban teams, some, you know, in Ohio, you know, one of the best, probably the most successful group of teams are, are some small towns. And one of the things I think they show you is just the, the, the love of the game of basketball in some of those small towns, you know, when you go in and half of the, the gymnasium is filled with people who've been season ticket holders for 30 and 40 years. I think you want your kids to see all that because they can draw upon it on. And it's my job to get them to draw the strengths of every one of those programs into what we continue to aspire to be. And I love how you mentioned not being intimidated by some of those teams because of the, their name. And then as you gain that experience and Perrysburg has built that name for itself, that's how other teams feel playing you. And that goes into, you talked about that plus six or minus six heading into the warmup of a pregame. You and I both know, especially as a as teenage kids, that is it. That is absolutely true. Where you can go into a game, it says zero zero on the clock. It's not. You might be down ten or up ten before that ball has even been thrown up in the air. And the confidence that you build from gaining that experience in your regular season games, instead of playing some cupcake games where you're going to pad the winning record. Uh, and then in the offseason traveling with June basketball or AU basketball, that's that's key. Um, we had a podcast um, not too long ago about the one three one defense. And so before as we finish up the podcast, I want to ask you about yours because you've had a lot of success with it. What has it been about that defense that you feel like has given other teams trouble over the years? Well, I think as much as anything, it's different. And in a 22-game high school schedule, by and large, people are going to have two days to get ready for you. So I think that's an advantage. Um, I think we've been coaching it since 1994. I've been coaching the matchup. Um, and it's a little bit of a combination of Bob Huggins and, and maybe the old Dale Brown from LSU, the amoeba. And then we've added to it through the years. And there's some experience in how to change the matchup game to game um, to take away what other people want to do. I think one of the big things about it is it has allowed us to play perhaps some average man-to-man -man players and put them in a place in the matchup where they can specialize once again through the offseason, through the summer and everything, find out where everybody's going to be best suited. And it allows me to put sometimes my best five offensive players out there 
who maybe if we were a man-to-man team, two or three of those guys might be a complete detriment to you. Um, I think the other thing is that the, the number of things people do against it are relatively limited. And whether you know what's coming or not from a given team in the preseason, you can pretty much prepare for every one of those things. And then when you do see what a particular team is doing, you've already worked on it, at least in general, in the preseason. Before we get back to the episode, I want to thank you for listening to the Coach's Edge podcast. And if you find this episode beneficial, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That goes a really long way as we continue to build the Coach's Edge. And most of all, share this episode out with someone else who you think also may find it beneficial. That's what the Coach's Edge is all about, trying to give you an edge, an advantage. Let's get better together. Back to the show. Those are all all great points. Um, what advice would you – oh, there was one more thing I want to ask you about the one through one. You told me a Ben Roethlisberger story about the, the one three one a while ago. Could you, could you share that with our, our listeners a little bit about how, how he played against the one three one? We, um, it was my last year in Columbus and we came up to a summer tournament at Bowling Green State University and we played Finley high school and, um, and Finley's got an outstanding program. And they're good every year. They're a lot, lot along the lines of what we do. Um, but they had this kid who played basically from the high post, the elbows, and he absolutely picked apart our matchup. I mean, it was, he made us look silly. And it wasn't until a couple years later, I found out it was this quarterback at Miami who ends up going to the Steelers and, you know, is undefeated today, in fact. <laughs> yeah, we all know what uh, Ben Roethlisberger has has become, but I always thought that was funny because I remember um, when I was on your your staff and I was asking you about what gives you the most trouble with the one three one. I think you talked about like a dynamic point guard is always going to give you trouble regardless of what defense you're in, and then you mentioned the the Roethlisberger story and how this kid picked you apart, and then lo and behold, here he is a uh, you know one of the greatest quarterbacks of, of all time that makes you feel a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, last question, coach, what advice would you give to your younger self when you started out coaching? I think sometimes, um, you know, maybe I lost sight a little bit about family. Um, I, I think that's one of the things that um, you got to keep in mind. Um, I, I ended up having two very successful sons play for me, but neither one of them were gym rats when they were young. So I spent a lot of time away from them. So, uh, I wish they had come to practice with me. I wish they wanted to, they didn't, uh, and we got a great relationship, but that's it, just not what they were. So I, th- I think, you know, the balance and you know, you're going to be in the gym a lot. If you're going to be good, you're going to be in the gym. Uh, when, when other people are doing things with their family, but I think you got to really keep that balance if you're going to stay in this a long time and, and you got to find a, some, a support group, a wife that's, that's willing to do it with you. That's great advice. There's always, uh, 
give and take and finding that balance is, is key for basketball coaches, uh, especially, or any coach, because a lot of those hours are weekends, nights outside of the day-to-day nine to five. Coach Boyce, can't thank you enough for being on the Coach's Edge podcast. Wish you the best of luck this season. Thanks a lot, Steve. Enjoy uh, Myrtle Beach. You're a lucky man. Thank you for listening to this episode and a special thank you to Coach Boyce for taking the time to share his knowledge, his passion for the game of basketball. I haven't met many people that are as passionate about the game of basketball as Coach Boyce is from the high school level, college level, pro level. He loves the game. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it out, rate, review, subscribe. It goes a really long way as we continue to build the Coach's Edge. If you're interested in learning more about how we help basketball coaches. You can go to our website, coachesedge.coach. We're not taking new members until we relaunch the month of March. That's a big thing that I wanted to emphasize with our program is once basketball season starts, we're only helping those coaches that are members. And then once the season is over in March, we'll relaunch. We'll be accepting a handful of new members. And then we'll get to work together as we build throughout the off season. If there's any other way that I can help you, whether it's through the podcast, anything, any topics you want us to cover, you're curious about our online membership at the Coach's Edge, or you want to bring me in for a basketball clinic, a basketball camp, reach out to me, contact at KramerBasketball.com. Thanks again for listening and get after it today.